This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is James Danina of Snow Software, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 641. I started at Salesforce when it was $20 million in revenue, Pandora when it was $50 million in revenue, and Yex when it was about $50 million in revenue. But we could see our path over two or three years to $100 or $200 million. So I think you need to at least have that opportunity to see the growth and the market opportunity ahead of you. Most founders that I've found want to create opportunity both for themselves, but for the people around them. And that only happens when you go public. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we're pleased to welcome back CFO Steve Cakebread of Yext. Steve has recently completed a book which he expects to release later this year titled The IPO Playbook, An Insider's Perspective on Taking Your Company Public and How to Do It Right. It's no secret going public can be costly, but Steve argues publicly held firms operate with a certain rigor privately held firms just can't match, and private equity-owned firms often become so metric-driven, they very often just don't see the big picture. Steve will leave you with a short to-do list, including find yourself a banker who you don't mind spending time with, and find a research analyst who will fully understand your company's unique story. We begin after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we're pleased to have Steve Cakebread, CFO of Yext, once again, joining us. Steve, welcome back. Thank you, Jack. Good to see you again. Steve, I just want to uh, clue our listeners in that, uh, unlike our, our typical uh, format, I'm not going to uh, ask you to take us through your, your career milestones, which uh, you provided us with a, a terrific and, and memorable episode. I'm just going to say that was episode 465. It certainly makes wonderful listening as you took us through uh, from Hewlett Packard on forward. And just to name, uh, you were CFO of Autodesk, of course, and Pandora. And uh, you helped take, uh, of course, Salesforce uh, public. Uh, but uh, what we were looking forward to speaking with you today, where it is, is that you're working on a book and uh, we expect it for the end of the year, uh, but on IPOs. So the obvious question might be, why uh, why a book on IPOs uh, and, and why now? Tell us, tell us what's going on. Yeah, great question. You know, there was a couple things. In my career, I've got to touch and meet a lot of different people. 
And obviously with the three IPOs that I've been involved in, people started calling me and saying, hey, can I have a half hour describe the IPO process? Well, as you well know, it's more than a 30 minute conversation. And so I finally committed to sit down and just say, I'm just gonna write a book from my perspective of what it takes from a CFO perspective primarily, but it also t addresses entrepreneurs and what they need to think about. And that way, somebody calls, I can say, gee, you know, take a look at the book, and then we can get to layer two or layer three about what we're really talking about in terms of doing an IPO. And it's been interesting, you know, with all the macroeconomic pandemic issues, the press have always gone and said, oh, IPOs are dead, et cetera. But this year, there's been as many, if not more IPOs through August than there's ever been in the last couple of years. So it's, it's an interesting topic. It's a challenging topic for a lot of people, but I personally believe it's important because wealth distribution happens when employees and other investors get to participate. I think rigor of a company improves when you go public. And third, it's just fun. You'll see in the book, I talk about ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange having been with a number of presidents from Dick Grasso, and I know that dates me a little bit, as the president of the New York Stock Exchange up to Stacey Cunningham. So um, all those kind of combined said, let's time, let's get this book out and uh, share it with people. So there's been a lot written about uh, there being an IPO drought for years. Uh, and you can go back 10 years and see how IPOs have uh, shrank year to year, uh, the number of IPOs. And meanwhile, of course, private equity uh, continues to uh, play a bigger and bigger role here. For those CFOs who want to champion an IPO, who think it's the correct path, what, what advice might you have? Right. That's a great question. I think the, the couple challenges come uh, in the, uh, the VC private equity about, oh, it's so hard. You have to hit all these disclosures. It costs money. And that's true. I mean, it's not cheap to go public. And it's also true that you have to get your organization to be tuned up to run efficiently and effectively in a public market stance. My question is, why would you start a business if you didn't want to make it run effectively and efficiently anyway? And so the, the governance requirements of a public company are, are honestly, I don't think any different than if you're going to run an effective, efficient small business or, or private company that wants to get big. And we've seen some of the areas where it's failed if you don't go public. And I'm talking about going public in the 100 million to 200 million range, not the four or 5 billion. I mean, Uber was a classic example of governance breakdown and it's waited too long to go public. I think you know some of the others we could talk through, but there were similar experiences where people just waited too long to go public and not get that. And my good friend, Mark Benioff, he and I talked about it a lot before we took Salesforce public. But even he will say, if you look at his tweets and stuff, the discipline of going public makes your organization, the governance better. It makes it socially more responsible, which is a big item for him and myself. And it grows careers and spins off other technology companies, in our case, in technology. So I think there's a number of good arguments to do that. If you want to just build a feature and sell it to somebody, then you should just do that. But that's not hire a lot of people, not promise a lot of opportunity going forward. But most founders that I've found want to create opportunity both for themselves, but for the people around them. And that only happens when you go public. For those CFOs and, and company uh, and for company management that wants to go down the IPO path, 
uh, what are what are the boxes that they they must have checked off before they step onto that path? Yeah, I think there's a couple. One is you clearly have to have a market or product or solution that you can go to market that's sustainable over a number of years. As you well know, going public is an act of one day, but really the IPO starts the day you ring the bell or drop the gavel. So you need to make sure you have a addressable market and you have a unique enough product that consumers, customers, other businesses are gonna to wanna to buy. And you can look at that hundred to billion dollar revenue range. We get over a billion dollars, one of you have accomplished a lot because at least in software, there's not more than 30 or 40 software companies that are a billion dollars in revenue or, or larger. So you hit that billion dollar range, you've accomplished something. So I'm, I'm looking at revenue size. I'm looking at the skills and capabilities of the management team because people that typically help a startup get from zero to 100 are not the people that can help them get from 100 to a billion. And um, then just global market access because you know the, the investors are looking for growth and they're looking for profitability. And you have to have a business model that you may not be profitable today. And God knows every company I've taken public was never profitable the first five years, but we had a road to profitability and cash flow. So good revenue stream, obvious addressable market, a great management team to get you there, and then a business model that you and the investors can say, yeah, this makes sense that you can take public. What if you have many of those elements, but perhaps your revenues aren't quite uh, where uh, the size that you would expect? Yeah, it, I mean, you can start with smaller revenue sizes, but I think also you can get trapped in this two to $300 million valuation range, which doesn't really give you the opportunity to grow and, and quite frankly, attract better people over time. So I like to look at companies. And if you look at my background, I started at Salesforce when it was 20 million in revenue, Pandora when it was 50 million in revenue, and Yex when it was about 50 million in revenue. But we could see our path over two or three years to 100 or 200 million. So I think you need to at least have that opportunity to see the growth and the market opportunity ahead of you. A lot of uh, technology companies would have us believe that they're an important piece of uh, the uh, going public uh, game plan. They provide the visibility their technology can, or they're, they're able to produce the reports and statements that the company's going to have to rely on uh, as they educate uh, uh, investors going forward. Um, uh, do you, does technology play an important role here? Yeah. You know, I, I'm a big fan, and you'll see it in the book, and and I won't say I'm an outlier, but I believe that if you're going to start a business, then you want to give it all the tools to be successful. And that means putting in the right systems, the right technology to be efficient and effective in how you go to market, how you track your information and data. Because quite frankly, a career, we're talking about finance folks, I never woke up saying I want to have a career where I take an Excel spreadsheet on the left screen and move the same data to a right screen. That's not adding value to anybody the information that's in those screens. And now more than ever, as we get to big data and using artificial intelligence to look at the data that you see, I think that even for a small business, it becomes important to be able to have access to that data. Look at, if you're in consumer business, look at consumer trends. If you're in B2B business, look at when and who's buying and what prices you're selling to. So data, whether you're a small company, a medium company or a big company becomes really critical and putting in the systems and tools becomes as critical as the first step. Interestingly enough, Jack, 
If you put those systems in, even the bigger ones like my friends at Salesforce, at Workday at others, it may cost you a little bit in the beginning, but it's much cheaper to put them in when you're starting and get your teams used to them than when you get to 100 or $200 million, you'll spend 10x refreshing your systems at that size. One of the more obvious uh, signals that a company is preparing to go public is a CFO hire when they bring a seasoned uh, perhaps IPO veteran in uh, to help them uh, prepare for the IPO and the next chapter of growth. Uh, is that as true today as it always was? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple. One is clearly the CFO. And like I said, you know, everybody has in their career stages where they excel. And typically the people that can start companies and get them to a size that they could consider going public are not necessarily the people that can take you from there. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it's rare because most boards, most bankers, when they get you public, want a more professional, more outspoken CFO, somebody that's more sophisticated in terms of governance possibly. And also, and there was in a part of my career where there was operational CFOs and strategic CFOs. The reality of it is you have to be both. And that typically is not somebody you hire in early stage businesses. It's people that you can bring on at that 50, 100, 200 million dollar business. And, and the other thing is, and you know this, we're all finance people, we tend to be pretty much risk averse. So I remember at Salesforce, I was not the first pick. I was probably the last pick, but I was willing to take a little bit more risk with the experience that I had. So yeah, CFO is a critical one. The other one is general counsel, because a lot of this is placing governance and a lot of it is training the organization's muscles in the governance. It's not that hard, but you need to know what to do. And so the CFO and outside counsel are generally the two good indicators that you're getting ready to think about going public. Now, you've said in the past that companies, uh, the decision to remain private longer, those companies are in a way doing a disservice. Instead, they would be better suited to deal with a more diverse group of investors early on, as opposed to just a small subset. And I can imagine there are quite a few CFOs who are kind of like, wow, do I really want to, you know, build that IR capability now? Do I really want to deal with all these phone calls that come in left and right that I'll have to speak to Mo Lowry and Curly all the time? I, I mean, it just seems like it, it suddenly it's a real communications hurdle for, for many organizations and one that they might want to avoid. That's a good part of it. I mean, you have to be able to, one, love your business, have a passion around and explain it to third parties that may not have a good idea of what you're doing. And so the IR function is really critical. The good news is there's a number of very capable IR firms that can help you get through that early phase of communication, not the least of which is your investment banker that can help you write the story of the S1. And then there's others that I've worked with my whole career. And even after we've been public for five or 10 years, I still use those same IR people to bounce ideas off of, to look at my problems differently and how to communicate. So yes, if you wanna be shy and introverted and don't wanna to talk to people, this is probably not a company that you wanna take public, but you learn speaking skills, which is good for all of us, I think. You learn how to approach and answer questions and explain your story. None of that is hard. It just takes a little bit of work, but shouldn't prevent you from going public. Because personally, 
And it's kind of interesting. I actually find it tougher to work with VC boards because all they care about is the numbers. They don't care about the opportunity so much. And what I found in my career is science and numbers is important, but there's a little bit of art that, that, that you need to make a really successful bottle of wine or a successful company. It can't all be driven by numbers. And you know, you and I have been around long enough. If you remember, General Motors at one time was known as an organization that the bean counters ran the company. Well, that company went broke and they had to bring in people with a little bit more vision and a little bit more art to the car, not all numbers. And so I think that's a good opportunity um, to, to really help the company see itself, not only mathematically, but in a different vision. And talking to investors is a great way to hone your story in terms of how you might talk to a customer. So there's the relationship with uh, uh, the investors. There's also the relationship with the CEO, which as right. a, a finance leader, CFO, you've now done, you've partnered with three. Um, and let's just say the three were different in different respects. And as the finance leader, you had to compliment them. Maybe you played a larger role in certain areas for certain IPOs than others. Or what was the, can you make a point of comparison from one to the next to the next in regards yeah. to the CFO relationship? And the CFO yeah, relationship. No, I, that's, a, that's great observation. You know, I have been really fortunate in my career. And as you said, we talked about this before. I got to work with Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard when they were around. I got to talk to and work with um, the folks at Silicon Graphics when they started out in the technology. I clearly got to work with Carol Bartz at Autodesk. And so it's building that relationship with those CEOs and all that, those were all public companies. So I got to experience that and understand different personalities because boy, Bill and Dave had a much different personality than the folks at SGI, than the folks at Autodesk. But that helped me when I got to, to meet with Mark Benioff, for example, who is very much outbound, bigger than life, messaging, but we balanced each other because he had that outbound energy, but I could come in and talk to investors about, this is where we're going, but this is what it takes right now. And the same thing with Pandora. And now at Yext, yeah, with, I've got almost two extra years on the founder at Pandora. So that dialogue and conversation is what I look for in, in finding and working with CEOs because Mark and I used to just sit and talk. I never told him problems. He never told me problems. We talked about where we're trying to get the company to and what I needed to do and what I thought he needed to do. So for me, number one is, can you talk to each other conversationally? Because that's the only way you're going to share ideas and move the company forward. Uh, over time, uh, the roadshow has always been sort of that exciting adventure that uh, companies go on. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot for an anecdote from one of your road shows, but one where that the mic didn't work or anything that you can share with us that that happened on the road that was unexpected. And as a CFO who's supposed to be mitigating risk, you you uh, you learned a valuable lesson somewhere or anywhere. No, those are those, that's absolutely two things. The road show is a blast. It's when you come down, you need to sleep for a month. But on that road show, it's great. You meet wonderful people interested or potentially interested in your company. Um, you have some of the faux pas. A couple uh, real quick stories. We started the Salesforce Roadshow and literally we're just walking on the plane from our first visit and our general counsel called and said, the Roadshow has been postponed for 30 days because the SEC pulled your registration because unfortunately there was a, a, literally a men's rooms conversation that got pushed to the press 
that day and you're not supposed to pre-market your company and they considered it pre-marketing. So we stopped for 30 days. The other one that was fun and it's, and it's, and it's around that and, and talks to the demands it takes on you. But we were, we were in one other company in Italy and the CEO was doing a great job, but you know, there's a point where you answer the same question and you know that you answer the same question a thousand times. You just need a mental break. So we had an investor meeting with a great individual, nice gentleman from Deutsche Bank, billions of dollars in funds. And we're sitting there having starting breakfast and I'm going, oh, I don't know where my founder is. Let me go text him. And he texts me and said, I'm going shopping for my wife. I haven't seen her for three weeks. And this is in Milan, Italy. So not a bad place to shop. And I'll see you at the next meeting. So I, I'm sitting there and this guy is wanting to see the CEO. You don't want to talk to the CFO. I mean, I'm just there. But we had the best conversation and it's still kind of a long-term relationship in terms of his investing in companies that I participate in. But, they're, they're, you know, we take pictures. I rue the day when some of those start to show up on Pinterest and Instagram. But it's a lot of fun, but a lot of hard work. When we return, CFO Steve Cakebread tells us what IPO-minded CFOs need to know when choosing a banker. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. I want to just touch on the current uh, COVID environment with you and, and the uh, surprising uptick, perhaps, uh, in IPOs. So what, what exactly is happening? What, what is responsible for this? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. There, and there's also another phenomenon where you're seeing different ways to go public, like direct listing that Spotify used and Slack used, and then... There's all these special purpose acquisition companies that the most notable was Virgin Galactic used to go public. But I think what it continues to do is be a testament to the public market. One, gets you great access to different ways to get capital. That can be borrowing, that can be convertible debt, it could be issuing additional shares, but it's an easy capital market to get to. Two, is it gives everybody a fair valuation. You know, we've all sat in there with the venture capital and private equity behind closed doors and the valuations can get pretty crazy. I mean, we work as a great example of how valuations got overbought without public oversight, if you will. And so I think a combination of even in tough times, the public markets are great capital access and even in tough times, and I, people lose sight of this, but every time I went public with one of my companies that day, that day, was the largest inbound lead day each of those companies had for a good period of time. So it's a great marketing tool as well. And so you think about, gee, global pandemic, bad macroeconomics, but people still watch TV and watch the IPOs. And it gives you presence and helps with the marketing. 
And then, like I said, longer term access to way many different ways to get capital into your company if you need it. So let's put you on the spot and uh, ask if you think we'll be seeing more management teams, more CFOs, uh, champion IPOs, put IPOs back on the menu. Well, I would hope so. I think what we're seeing in the finance leaders see this is, like I said, it's good access to capital markets, which is going to be tough in certain circumstances. Secondly, I think you're also seeing, and you can call it different things, but the retail investor getting back in the stock market, realizing there's opportunity. So this next generation, whether it's through a Robinhood or some other other vehicle besides traditional investment institutions, is starting to recognize public market as a way to create wealth. And that that's one of my hypotheses here. You know, the number of listed companies has been reduced by almost 50% over the last 10 years. That's less access for most of us. And I think that is helping create this despondency between people that are very wealthy and people that aren't because you can't get access to the market. And, you know, I can't buy a $1,000 stock price or a $400 stock price, but I can get into an IPO. And every company I took public, we started, we priced out at 11 or $12 a share. That's pretty good. I mean, it's two Starbucks and you can buy a share of a company. And so I think there is going to be a resurgence because of capital access. But I think also the retail market is starting to pick up again and people are getting interested in wealth appreciation through the stock market. So along with taking a company public uh, come new relationships, important relationships with professionals from the banking world and uh, the research world, I suppose, um, can you... Shed a little light on how those relationships take shape and form, and I would imagine mature over time. These are people who are going to be part of uh, uh, the CFO ecosystem into the future. Yep, good question. That's excellent. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Some of the bankers start relationships with the company early on so that you get to know them. Because at, at the end of the day, this is all about people, and it is a people business. The thing I think a lot of people forget is, whether they like it or not, the institution and technical bankers that take you public, that process is very regulated, it's very similar. So when you're making decisions, it's one about the people that you're going to work with, that you're going to sit on that airplane for two weeks or three weeks on the roadshow. You better enjoy their conversation. Secondly, they need to understand your business very well because they're the ones that help tell the story. They're outbound even more than you are because they're talking to the multitude of investors, your potential customers. The third part of it is though, that I think is really misunderstood is at the end of the day, it's really about you spending your time with a sell side research person that's gonna be assigned to you. Because the bankers, after you go public, it's not that they leave you, but they don't spend a lot of time with you until, the, until you need to raise capital again. The sell side research people see you every quarter they ask tough questions, as they should, I'm not denying that. And then they make a judgment about whether you're good or bad or in between, buy, sell, hold. And, um, and those are the people that you really need to get to know and understand and work with. And kind of my criteria when I look at this, and you don't always get to choose, but to the extent that you can find sell-side research people that understand your story, because that's the art of creating a new business. You're creating a new segment a new way to do business, you need the research person to understand your story. Yeah, they need to underline spreadsheets and the numbers, 
But if all they do is care about the numbers, you're always going to have one number out of whack every quarter, and they can always bang on you for, well, you didn't do this right, or you didn't do that. But if they understand the underlying story, then they can keep the longer vision for their investors and say, you know, this this is a this is kind of a upsy downsy quarter, but the long term thesis is intact. If you get sell side research people like that, those are the banks you want to take public with, not the spreadsheet jockeys. And um, that that's the, the you always you got to keep your. It's easy to get into. Gee, we should go with the three biggest banks and a lot, a lot, a lot of. But just keep in mind the process is the same, the fees are the same. So what you get to differentiate on is what sell side research person really understands where you're trying to go. That's the top criteria. Steve, thank you for uh, making time for us. Before I forget, the book title is The IPO Playbook, An Insider's Perspective on Taking Your Company Public and How to Do It Right. It's uh, due out later this year. I'll tell you what, we will um, we'll announce on an episode as soon as we know it's out. We'll let our listeners know, Steve. Uh, but again, thank you for uh, joining us once again. Jack, thank you. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.